0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're glad to see you here today. At this time, we're gonna get started with some worship, so you are welcome to stand.
1: You pray with me. Father God, it's again the Lent season. Last year, we could only uh, express our gratitude for your compassion and um, leadership through videos. This year, we finally can plan and prepare the return of the in-person Easter Block Party and many other activities to reach out to our community to remember the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as the new covenant given to us. Thank you for navigating us through uh, the turbulent year. Please keep teaching us and leading us. Please help us in making our Easter events uh, healthy and safe. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant It is when God's people live together in unity. Though in different denominations, a lot of people in Ukraine and Russia are brothers, uh, are believers of God. In other words, they are our brothers and sisters. Please soften and open their minds with Jesus' story 2,000 years ago, and then the peace back again during this. Land season. In your name we pray, amen.
2: When you arrived, you may be seated. When you arrived, you received a bulletin, and there's a connect card and a prayer card. It actually does it's perforated, so you can tear that bad boy off, as Ryan would say. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, um, take that connect card, let us know you're here, and uh, we'll get you connected. And in the prayer card, we do have a team of prayer warriors. If you have something you'd like us to pray for, you can uh, leave that as well with us, too. The, drop, the cards can be dropped off in the foyer, um, and uh, you'll see some boxes. You can just drop those off right in there. At this time, I'd like to invite Scott Schimmel up to give the message. Forgot it was my turn. Good morning. <laughs> Me? Just was watching. Uh, good morning, everybody. I had this really interesting experience happen this week. First time I'd traveled uh, for work in two years, over two years. I do a lot of speaking. Lately, I've been a lot of speaking on my Zoom uh, for a couple years, but uh, previously, I did a lot of speaking and traveling. I went back to that this week. Uh, I just wrote a book that came out a, a few weeks ago, and that was a part of why I went to go speak, and by the way, that's a plug. We're going to talk about some of the content of that book during conversations, which happens after brunch, after this service. If you want to come back and stay, we're going to dig into some great content. Uh, so there I was speaking, and there was a crowd, as parents in a school district up in Los Altos, and, and, and I'm so thankful I didn't recognize this person or see this person in the crowd because I would have been thrown off entirely. I would have stopped what I was doing and talked to her. So I'm standing there afterwards, mingling and, and, and chatting with a few people, and I look over. And, and there's a woman standing there looking at me, and she says, do you remember me? And instantly, I don't know if you had this person growing up like I did, but she was the one. Uh, we were neighbors, and starting in first grade, when I, we were six years old. She was the one. I can remember uh, playing catch. I called a friend of mine to tell him that I saw her, because it was like only he would understand that I saw her. Uh, I, I remember we would play catch. In in the backyard, and we would uh, we would try to debate who loved her more, (laughs) and all through eighth grade, uh, she was the one, and I never got her. And there she was, and here I am going to speak on this content about parenting. Uh, And and she's married, has kids. I'm married, have kids. And there she is. She says, "Do you remember me?" I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And and while that was happening, there was uh, uh, some of that I didn't know, but it was kind of it was like a three way conversation. And, and uh, this other woman says, Do you know each other? And I instantly turn, and I think she turns at the same time. And, and what she says is, Yeah, we were friends growing up. Simultaneously, while I'm saying, She was the love of my life when we were growing up. <laughs> and it, it didn't really occur to me later. Unfortunately, we didn't talk for more than a minute or two. It didn't occur to me later. Uh, she didn't use this word, this qualifying word, but I'm it felt like it. It felt like what she said was, we were just friends growing up. <laughs> and I'm like, she the love of my life. And I actually said, she was the love of my life all through elementary school, which is not true. It was middle school, too. Uh, but she moved away when we were 16. I haven't seen her in, uh, you know, 30 years. It's crazy to see her and catch up and remember those, all those memories. Uh, and, and that word, though, ha- has been sticking out to me a lot, just. Uh, and, and how it applies to our faith, because it's very simple to think about Jesus particularly as just, and I, we're going to dig into that. Just, just Jesus, or just this historical figure, or I'm going to dare say just a Savior. Uh, the idea that when we have people in roles that they don't belong in, things can get out of whack. I have two teenagers now, three kids, two of them are teenagers, and it seems like they've put me in a role that I don't belong. They put me in a role as lame, and I don't belong there. (laughs) Irrelevant, lacking any counsel or wisdom for their everyday living, it seems like they've put me in this corner that I do not belong. And it's frustrating when we get put in and painted into corners. Although, on the other hand, when we get things right, when we get people right, Things go better. I remember i 've uh, spoken to you a lot and talked a lot about my experience as a youth sports coach. There was a moment, uh, probably the worst team I ever coached years ago when my son was young. There were boys that just it was you know the misfits, the bad news bears in terms of their behavior and attitude and, and uh, kind of everything that could go wrong went wrong it, during that season i 'll tell you later if you 're interested. I had to call attorneys, we had to call the police once. like it was a really, really bad situation. Uh, uh, but particularly one boy was in my son's class and I, and every day in the morning when my, when my, I would take my son to school, I would get the opportunity to go into the class and read, read to the kids. I think first or first or second grade around then. And, uh, and two or three of the boys from our team were in that classroom and, uh, two or three of the boys that were really difficult and, and challenging, And I remember one morning towards the end of the season, at that point had been two or three months of coaching this one boy. And and we had had challenges and uh, yeah, you you can imagine. Uh, But he was in the classroom that morning and, and just acting out like just beyond belief before the day started. And I had gotten to know the teacher a little bit and I could see on her face that look seeing him start the day that way. I'm just like, oh gosh. And, and if you're a teacher or no teachers, God bless you. The, the idea that you would have to do what I would do, maybe for an hour during practice or an hour and a half during a game scenario that she would deal with for six hours times five days a week, that was, that was intense. And so I see him and I just kind of connect the dots a little bit. And the big thing that I've been working on as a coach that season was listening. I mean, if there's anything that we're going to do together, and I still use the same pitch, Uh, when I start every team, it's it's going to be dependent upon you listening to me. Your ability to learn, your ability to play well, your ability really to have fun is going to be dependent, contingent upon you listening to me. So you have to then trust me you have to trust me that when we're training or running or doing these drills, you don't want to do that. That's for a reason. You have to trust that the reason I'm putting you in this position is not to punish you, but because you suck at the other. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, because it's a part of the broader context of the game. And, and so that was the, 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 the big theme. Listen to me. Listen to me. You have to listen to me. And so there I see him, Jacob, acting out, starting really underneath the desk, below the day, I guess he would get under there, and she the teacher would have to call oftentimes an aide or a, a counselor or the principal, assistant principal. And so I see and connect the dots, and I decided, I just kind of leaned over and leaned down, and I, it took me a, probably 30 seconds, a good 30 seconds to get even his attention. Jacob just kept saying his name, Jacob, 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 Jacob. And he finally looks at me, and I said, Jacob, I'm your coach, right? And he's like, uh-huh. I say, you listen to me. Right? He goes, Yeah. Go sit down in your seat all day, be kind to your teacher, knock it off. And, I, and for some reason, magic moment, it's like never happened ever again. But he listened, he got up in his chair and he sat down. And I looked at the teacher, and it was like an air fist bump, like you got this. And I walked out, and I thought, How magical it can be when someone sees you in the right position, in the right role. We are all trying to do life well. That I know. I don't know you, but I know that about all of us. We are trying to do life well. And I don't know why you came here this morning. Maybe your parents dragged you. Maybe your spouse dragged you. Maybe it's just something you do every Sunday. But we are here to have a discussion and to think about putting Jesus in the right role, in the right place. And I know what happens for me is that I forget and I misplace him daily. We have this uh, smart thermostat in our house. Maybe you have that too. And this smart thermostat is like, I forget the movie from the 80s, but it's when all the machines take over. (laughs) It was like a a prediction of the future, which is even more appropriate now. Uh, But this smart thermostat has been programmed. And try as I might, I've disconnected the entire thing I have rebooted it, I have turned it off, I've unplugged it, I t- plug it back in, I get somebody, I, it wasn't me, somebody has programmed it, and every single day it goes back to its previously set programming, which is completely against what I wanted to do. And every day it drives me bonkers, like I'll watch it, I, if you have one of those uh, Nest things, I'll be sitting there and I'll watch the whole thing like at 9 p.m. just shifts. I'm like, what are you doing? What, are you, what do you think you're doing? And it's, it's in charge. And the idea of that is similar to I think what happens in my faith and yours as it relates to Jesus. There's some programming that is set against even your best intentions. When I come to church and I, and I read scriptures and I have a moment in worship and I connect with friends having conversations, I see things clearly again and I remember, oh yeah, that's, that's who God is. That's what Jesus is about. He does have relevance for my everyday life, and I, and I do want to orient my life around him, and he has wisdom for me, and all these great sparked moments and in insights, and then in commitments. I'm, okay, so I know what to do, me more than anybody. I know, I, I know how to, to pray, and, and, and I know the, kind of the practices to keep, and then the next hour comes by, and the program goes back to getting through the day, doing my ordinary challenges. I, am I alone here? Okay, just checking. Well, Jesus had that experience as well throughout the Gospels. You can see that uh, so much of what he was trying to do was help other people know what category to put him in, which was a new one. They had categories uh, in their day as Jesus was interacting with them. They had had categories for uh, kind of bizarre categories, extraordinary categories like a prophet. Uh, these, these people that often throughout history, Jewish history, showed up in bizarre clothing, sometimes no clothing, and they would say things, extreme things, uh, uh, apocalyptic things, like the world's going to end and, and it's going to be really bad and terrible for us. And they would warn people. And there was a particular role of a prophet. And if you know the story, you see John the Baptist emerges in the gospel stories in that role. And we don't necessarily see that he would wear that name tag, I am a prophet, nice to meet you, but he acted in the same role and function as a prophet. They also had this other role, uh, uh, in, uh, a priest in the synagogue, uh, a priest in the temple, a priest that often, you know, they looked the part, they dressed the part, they had the name tag, and, and they performed priestly duties. And it was, it was familiar to them. And then there was this other role, Uh, this role as a rabbi, a teacher, a thinker, a a, a sage. And we don't really have that in our culture. We don't really have someone that sits around or walks around and talks about all of life. We have pundits. That's a really distorted version of what a rabbi or a sage would be like. We have people that uh, profess knowledge through social media, Uh, But it's still different. We don't really necessarily have that role, but that's the the role that Jesus emerged in. This idea of taking everyday, common, ordinary uh, scenarios and situations about life and inviting us to rethink and reconsider them. That's the role and position that he was in. But at the same time, it was different the way he embodied that role. Early on and as he entered the scene, in fact, in Luke chapter 4, in the beginning stages of him doing ministry, he goes back to really his hometown and, and goes into the synagogue and, and gets up in front of people and reads the scriptures, which was a rabbi thing to do. And as he's reading the scriptures and, and communicating and, and ascribing some of those, uh, the, the scriptures to himself, there's people in his hometown who whisper, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, they had a category for who he was. Isn't this Joseph's son? We, we know that guy. And you watch, even in that scene, that they're kind of like, ah, I mean, this, this category that we're seeing him and experiencing him in, it's our program, though, is to put him over here. And so we're just not quite sure what to do. He would then, Jesus would then warn that and say, yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard for people, as it relates to me, to put me in the right category. It's going to be really difficult for whoever you are, whether you know me or not. So I'm going to pray for us and invite us as we consider who Jesus is, that God would help us put him in the right category. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we, we want to do life well. And we are here in this room together because we are together saying, it is with you and through you that life will be done better. That true life, real life, real living is with you and in you, and I pray that you would help us to understand what that means, to see that more clearly, and to position you, reposition you to the, way that, uh, to the place that you belong, the place that you deserve, and the place that we need. So help us. Holy Spirit, help us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sixty times in the gospel stories, Jesus is referred to as a teacher. And sometimes that was uh, uh, said so in, uh, in a way that was expressing uh, amazement. In Mark chapter 1, it says the people were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. He was saying things that were different. He was uh, uh, connecting dots they hadn't connected before. And the particular qualifier, as it says in, the, in Mark, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one with real authority. Isn't that an interesting kind of backhanded compliment to all the other teachers? <laughs> uh, this guy is speaking with real authority. It's coming from somewhere. That seems to be the difference for how Jesus taught. It was the subject matter, that's for sure, the, the, the connections he was making, but it was also coming from a different place. What was he teaching? What was he teaching? What we get to see through the gospel stories is this authority, this idea that he had authority, the, the right to express ideas, the, the, the privilege to, uh, to enact things. Uh, many people did not have difficulty or trouble with Jesus having authority over sickness. You get to see Jesus time and time again having uh, expressed authority and impact and effect on people who were ill. It would, he would change their situation. He would turn sickness into health. And it doesn't really seem like many people had it, it, a difficulty with that. People didn't really challenge that. that in, in our day, I think we would have more to say about that. you ever see people who disagree about like, science and facts and health? And I don't know. Uh, they didn't seem, though, to have real trouble with him in that realm. In fact, Jesus often also, in the, in the gospel stories, whatever you think of this, he would have these battles with evil, evil spirits, demonic powers. Jesus would battle those things and uh, have effect over them. People who were tormented, people who were plagued, people who were in control by evil spirits, Jesus would battle them and they would come back to their right minds, be freed from that power. Maybe there are times, but I can't really find it in all the gospel. There's a lot of stories where people said, hey, whoa, 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 who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing, Jesus? It's almost like they would just be amazed by him doing that. They also didn't seem to have any trouble or difficulty with Jesus having authority and power over nature. (laughs) Uh, Whether it was winds and waves or turning water to wine, (laughs) people really didn't have any issue with that. (laughs) You don't see anybody, particularly in that story, when he turned barrels of water into gallons of wine, no one seemed to take issue with that. I don't think they would today either. What they seem to have issue in when Jesus would communicate and teach about the human experience and about who he was. They seemed to take issue with what he was proclaiming to be true, and here is what he would say. When you try to, uh, if someone were to interview you, and I think this would be a fascinating exercise for you this week, to think about. If someone were to interview you who knew nothing or, or, or was very curious about faith in Jesus and what Christians believe, if you could kind of distill that into a teaching, what is it that he taught? What is it that Jesus stood for? What is it that he came to say and proclaim? What would you say? Well, I, a good place to start would be what Jesus said. And he had this particular phrase that was a refrain. And he said it in multiple ways and different variations. It starts in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said this, the time has come The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It seemed as though the the predominant theme thesis of Jesus' teaching was that. The time has come. It's now. Everything you've been waiting for, all that you've been yearning for, planning for, preparing for, has come. It's now here. And then he talked about the kingdom of God or uh, other translations for that. And particularly Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven, which is where we get that word Heaven. And what Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, hey, there's, I just want to pronounce and let you all know there's this place you can go later on after you're dead. There's this wonderful place, and all you got to do is believe a few things about me, a couple things really. And when you die, I mean, we don't have much relevance on your life now. It won't really change anything now, but when you die, you'll have this eternity in heaven. He actually didn't say that once. He didn't say that. He did, uh, we might have heard that. We might have translated interpreted that, and we can get there, but he didn't necessarily say that. It seems like what he said was, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is here. It's near you. Other translations would say it's close. The time is now, and it's close. Later on uh, in the Gospels, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven being amongst you. It's right here, it's, uh, and the words uh, uh, depicted this idea of vapor, mist it's like right here. Another place he said the kingdom of heaven is within you. All right, so these are categories. We're repositioning. Heaven is up there and he's saying actually it's right here. Heaven is this place you go after and he's like it's right here and it's right now. It's this place you go to maybe to experience, maybe you come to a particular address or zip code or walk into a building. He said, no, it's actually within you, wherever you go. It's, you see these repositioning that he's doing. He wants you to recategorize, put it in the right shelf, in the right order. It seemed like what people had issue with was that teaching. That doesn't make sense. How could you say that, Jesus? Jesus. In fact, there was this one particular part early on where they wanted to push him off a cliff for saying that. And it wasn't just that it was here and it was now and it was amongst you. It was also through Jesus, through him and the way he was living and who he was and the opportunity to interact with his presence and his spirit. They were going to push him off a cliff. Now, I've been angry before. I've been frustrated before. I've never thought to push someone off a cliff. And I think the 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 dot, dot, dot is what was it that was so offensive about that idea? Why was that so offensive that the kingdom of God would be here and now and amongst us? Why was that worthy of being stoned or or or, or murdered? Uh, one of my favorite authors and guy that shaped my understanding of life and faith is a he passed away a few years ago. Is a writer. Is a professor of philosophy. At USC, go Trojans. I'm not a Trojan, but I like this guy. His name was Dallas Willard, and uh, one of the things that Dallas Willard would talk about was the idea that we don't think of in, in our in our culture. We don't think of Jesus as intelligent. We think of him perhaps as many things: nice, holy, other than healer, uh, uh, a wise man. But we don't necessarily think of him as intelligent or brilliant, even. And he used to uh, do this kind of offhanded survey and, and say, who, when you think of brilliant figures in human history, who do you think of? And people would name these big thinkers, philosophers, Socrates, Plato, uh, contemporary folks, Elon Musk maybe, these brilliant people, but no one would ever think of Jesus. And I, and I think part of that is, when I think of uh, growing up in the, in the church and faith, I didn't grow up in church, but I knew the, the closest Christian I knew to me was my grandma, who was sweet but not brilliant. Kind and loving and full of faith and generosity, but not someone that I would turn to for issues of business or strategy or complex human living. She had a very simple faith, actually. And so many of us also think of that as well. We we approach Christians with these complex human issues, and we hear things like, just pray about it. Uh, Just believe. Just have faith. And you're like, okay, that's not helpful. But we don't think of Jesus as this phrase that Dallas Willard had, the master of human life. The master of human life. And I want to read a quote. It's a little long, and I apologize for that. But a quote from Dallas Willard about Jesus. Here's what he said. At the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some little fish and feed thousands of people. He could create matter from the energy that he knew how to access from the heavens right where he was. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity, interrupt weather patterns, eliminate unfruitful trees without saw or axe. He only needed a word. Surely he must be amused at what Nobel, Prize, uh, Nobel Prizes are awarded for today. In the ethical domain, he had an understanding of life that has influenced world thought more than any other person. Death was not something imposed on him by others. He explained to his followers in a moment of crisis that he could at any time call in 72,000 angels to do whatever he wanted. He plainly said, "Nobody takes my life. I lay it down by choice." All these things show Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral and spiritual. Saying Jesus is Lord can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate in saying Jesus is smart. Let me read that again. Saying Jesus is Lord can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate in saying Jesus is smart. He is not just nice, he is brilliant. He is the smartest man who has ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of human history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in the human life. Do you believe that? I made a a short list of some more complex issues that I've got going on in my life currently. And while I go through these, I would love for you to think of, and maybe even as we're going into worship after this, uh, take a note, whether it's on your phone or uh, the bulletin or piece of paper, piece of gum. What are the issues, scenarios, complexities, the the situations that you're not quite sure what to do with? Let me start. Raising teenagers. My son just got his uh, driver's permit this week. He, he already seems to know how to drive, he says. <laughs> uh, I got a really big unexpected tax bill, and apparently it's due soon. I've got relationships at work that are complicated. Some people I don't like working with. <laughs> uh, I started a new business last year, and I apparently need to think about things like profit and loss. I've got parts of my lawn that have grown 12 inches, I, I, I mowed them yesterday, and some parts that haven't grown in, I think, four years, and I don't know what to do. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've been working really, really hard to putt better, <laughs> really hard. Like you would, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many hours I spend researching the physics of putting. <clears throat> I've, I've coached 22 youth sports teams. I'm on my 23rd, and it's the first time I have a good, talented team. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. And then this week, our daughter, our youngest, our 8-year-old, lost her new hamster twice. We lost it. It was in the walls. <laughs> and then it came back. We put it back in its cage. We had a whole trap. We had uh, little pieces of apple. And we learned on YouTube. It's fascinating we can learn on YouTube. We put a bucket, paper towels on top, little seeds on the top. It was like Swiss Family Robinson with the tiger. Like We captured a hamster. It was amazing. <laughs> One of the most joyful moments of our family, until we woke up the next day, and the cage was gone. I mean, it was, it was gone. The cage is there, no hamster. Little, little tiny holes. It's been gone ever since. We don't know where it went, but it's every door is closed and the holes are now taped up in the house. It's in the house somewhere. And it was my wife who said to my daughter as she in her distraught, what are we going to do? Also, should we get a new hamster kind of debate? It was my wife who said, you know, Jesus talked a lot about lost things. Maybe we should pray and ask him. We have these complex scenarios in our lives, uh, our marriages. Why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? Why? Like, why is it so hard to say, I, I shouldn't have said that without being defensive? Why is that so hard when you have a kid that looks at you like you're an idiot to respond with compassion and grace and tenderness? Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for us to navigate relationships at work? Why is it so hard for us to hold on to things in the present and in the future? Why is it so tempting to look at our phones and just numb to feelings of anxiety or fear or sadness? Why? This is the common human experience. And do we believe that Jesus is the master of those, that he has anything to say about those, that we could read stories about him and actually it be like a mirror to our life today? Why do I forget that every day? It's so simple. And what does it look like to put him back in the right shelf, in the right order? Where we consider him. Where we start listening to the things that he promised to be true. When I leave you, it's almost like he was spelling it out. When I leave you, I'm going to send a spirit to you and it's going to be different, I know. It's not going to be flesh and bones. You're not going to see me or have meals with me. But it's going to be even better than that. And you're all going to have it. No matter where you go, who you are, or what you do or don't do, you're going to have a spirit, and that spirit's going to remind you of everything I ever taught you. And it's going to show you what to do, how to best live, and help you know what path to take. You're going to have these moments where there's, do I go left or right or straight or do I turn around? There's going to be a spirit speaking to you, communicating to you. If you listen, if you understand this whole thing, I'm going to help you see everything differently. Remember that movie from the 80s, They Live, with Rowdy Rowdy Piper? Anybody? Go watch it. It's one of the best movies. He put on these glasses, and he would see that people, ordinary people, were actually aliens. It was the worst movie. Don't watch it. But there's actually a profound metaphor that Rowdy Rowdy Piper wanted to give us, that we could see differently. We could see everything differently. So what does it look like? How do we access that gift? We're going to pray now and ask the Holy Spirit to come and guide us. And, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, you promised you would come, and many of us have had profound experiences with you in our past, and yet living with you, through you, in you, in the day-to-day life is not normal for us. We forget, or we lose track, or go back to our previously scheduled program, of trying to build our empire, trying to be in control, trying to be uh, in charge. We forget that you are here, and yielding to you, listening to you, surrendering to you, following you, thinking about you, reflecting on you, could change everything. So help us to know how to do that. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come upon each one of us, and, and that, that feeling that or that idea that we have even right now of wanting more, desiring more of you, is actually you coming towards us. And so help us to respond to you, say yes to you, lean towards you, create new habits and patterns of our everyday ordinary life, of allowing you to be our guide and our teacher for common ordinary things, not just the religious or spiritual ones, but everyday things. Our finances, our parenting, our relationships, our lawn care, our athletic ability, our Bitcoin investing, that we would look at everything through your eyes, through your lens. Help me to do that, God. I believe you are the master of human life. I want to learn more from you. I want to lean more upon you. I want to do life with you because I want to do life well. pray this in your name. Amen. We have some uh, light snacks and breakfast outside and coffee, and and you are all welcome to come back in a few minutes back here to have conversations, meaningful discussions about life together. Uh, But now, may God the Father fill you with his love for you. May you know that God the Spirit is giving you all the wisdom that you need to live your life well. And may you know that God the Son is with you wherever you go. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.